Well, let's pray together as we turn to God's word and as we consider what it means to be a disciple-making community. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your living, breathing word, the scriptures. Thank you that you have promised to speak through it to us by your spirit whenever we open it, whenever we consider what you say. And Lord, this morning we pray that as a community of believers in this place in Ravenhill Presbyterian Church, that you would speak to us and that we would listen to what you have to say. Oh Lord, may we leave here having heard your voice this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it? We all know what companies make. You just look at their brand and you know what they produce. So Hovis, we know what they make, don't we? They make bread. Ferry, they make fantastic washing up liquid. Toyota, they make brilliant, reliable cars like the Avensis, which I drive. But we know what these companies make. But if you said the word church to a person on the street, would they know what the church is meant to be making? In fact, if you said it to each other, if you hadn't heard the kids talk earlier, and you said to each other, listen, what are we as a church supposed to be producing? I wonder, could you have answered it? You see, Jesus, he's very, very clear, isn't he? In Matthew chapter 28, he gathers his disciples, those that he's invested his life in, the past three years in, that he's trained, and he looks at them and he says to them, go and make disciples. You see, that's what the church is meant to be in the business of doing. We as a community are meant to be producing disciples. Now this morning we're going to think about that and we're going to answer two main questions. The first question is this, what is a disciple? And the second question is this, how are we meant to make them? What is a disciple and how are we meant to make them? So what is a disciple? Well, the first thing you need to know is that it's not a religious word. The word disciple was used far before, long before Jesus turned up on the scene. About 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, Socrates had disciples. And Pythagoras, that great philosopher, he had disciples as well. Many of the philosophers of the Greek world had disciples. So it's not a religious term. But it does mean something very significant. What is a disciple? I think there's three things that will help us to understand it. The first word is the word learner. A disciple at the most basic sense is a learner. So if you imagine a GCSE maths class and you imagine the teacher at the front and the pupils sitting there, those pupils, those sitting under the teaching of the teacher are disciples. The teacher is teaching them how to do maths. The teacher is answering their questions. The teacher is helping them to get what it is to be a student of mathematics. The person doing their driving test. They're a disciple of the, of the driving instructor. At its most basic sense, a disciple is a learner. They're learning from someone. So it's a learner. That's the first thing. They're learning from someone who's ahead of them. What else, how else could you describe a disciple? Well, the describer is also a follower. A follower, a disciple is someone who walks in the way of another person. They follow their steps. Have you ever played that game as a child, follow the leader? You know, so the leader jumps and everyone else looks at them jumping and they jump too. Or the leader sticks up his right hand and everyone looks at them sticking up their right hand and they stick up their right hand too. Well, that's what it's like to be a disciple. It's to look at someone who's ahead, who's leading away, 
and it's to follow them. It's to copy them. It's to emulate them. It's to listen to them. It's to do what they're doing. It's to, to say the things they're saying to say. It's to, to look at someone and to follow them and to copy them. We were all disciples of our parents, weren't we, at one stage? It's amazing, isn't it? The things that we learnt just by following the example of our parents. We were all little disciples as children. We learned to speak. We learned some good habits and some bad habits. Even now as adults, you can see some of the things that you learnt just by copying the example of your parents. So a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. But a disciple is also someone who is committed to a master. You see, to be a disciple in the ancient world, it had these loose connections. But there was also a very formal way of discipleship. And that was to commit yourself to one master and to commit yourself to living that person's way. And so the disciples of Socrates, when they listened to his philosophy, they didn't just listen to it and think, well, that's an interesting thing. They listened to it and they ordered their life in light of it. To be a disciple is to be wholeheartedly committed to living under a master's way. In the Jewish world, that's what young men used to do. They used to find a rabbi, a man who was soaked in the scriptures, a man who who knew the Jewish way of life, and they would actually apply to be under this rabbi's mastership. And if the rabbi accepted them, then they'd follow this rabbi for a number of years and they'd hear all that he taught and they'd order their lives to live under the way of this rabbi. You can see why Jesus was called rabbi now, can't you? Because that's what the disciples were doing. Following him, listening to him and ordering their life under his teaching. What's a disciple? It's a learner. It's a follower. It's someone who has committed themselves wholeheartedly to live under the rule and in the way of a master. Now, you might not have thought about this before, but everyone is actually a disciple of someone. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. The friends who you work with, the the colleagues that you have, your, your mates who you go to school with, the ladies you drink coffee with, the blokes you play football with. Regardless if they're religious or not, they're disciples of someone or something. So there's people who who learn how to behave and they learn how to react to to certain social situations by, by learning from EastEnders. They watch their soaps and they see how the characters interact and how they behave and how they react to certain issues and certain topics. And they actually learn from that and, and they follow that. You have people who learn their morals from the newspapers and from the media. If the media say something is good and they promote something as being good, regardless of what it is, people say, okay, that must be good. I'll think that's good too. Or likewise, if the media say that something is bad, then people will say, okay, I'll adopt that as being bad. And you've also people today who commit themselves, who commit their whole lives to living under masters. I know vegans. Today is the, the most popular time, I think, in the UK ever to be a vegan. And there's nothing wrong with being a vegan. It's totally fine to be a vegan. You can be a Christian and a vegan. That's okay. 
But I'm amazed at the commitment that vegans have to the master of veganism. They bring up their kids as vegans. They're vegan evangelists. So committed. No dairy, no meat. Wholehearted commitment to the way of veganism. Do you see it? Everyone's a disciple of someone. Everyone's learning how to live from someone or something. Everyone has committed themselves to living in a certain way under the rule of someone else or something else. This morning, who are you a disciple of? This morning, who do you follow? This morning, who do you learn from? This morning, do you have a master? And if you do, who is that master? We're all disciples of somebody. And in Matthew chapter 28, as we learned with the kids, Jesus gathers his disciples, the, the foundation of the church, the apostles. And he says to them, go and make disciples. But he wasn't just telling them to go and make disciples of them. He wasn't saying, Paul, you go and make a disciple of Paul. Well, Paul wasn't there, so that wouldn't really work. But you get him, he wasn't saying, Peter, go and make a disciple of Peter. And, and, and Andrew, go and make a disciple of Andrew. No, what did he tell him? He said, go and make disciples of me. Go away and disciple people. Make them disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Go away and teach people how to live my way. Go to the nations and teach them how to live under my rule, under my mastership. Go out to the nations and teach them to live my way wholeheartedly. Go and make disciples. Go out and do it. And folks, this is what the church are meant to be doing. This is what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be producing disciples. We're meant to be producing people who live under the rule of Jesus and enjoy the life that he has for them. We're meant to be producing people who are, who are, who are submitting themselves to Christ and living his way and learning from him and ordering their lives under his leadership. The church is meant to be a place where people who don't know Christ are discipled in such a way that they come to know him and believe in him. The church is meant to be a place where someone who's just become a Christian learns to take the first steps in following Christ. And the church is meant to be a place too where if you've been a Christian for decades, you're learning to grow and mature and develop. And this journey of discipleship, it, it's not never meant to stop. The church is meant to be a place where we're always growing, always maturing, always coming more and again under the leadership of Christ. This is what we're meant to be, a disciple-making community. But here's the question, how are we meant to do it? How are we meant to do that? How are we meant to help each other to mature and grow in our faith? How are we meant to help new believers take those first steps as believers? How are we meant to go about this, this big job of really making disciples of Jesus? How are we meant to do it? Good question, isn't it? If you come to our house and the TV's on, 
Uh, it's most likely going to be CBBS if the boys are awake. It's not on a whole lot, but if the TV is on in our house, it's CBBS. And if you haven't seen it, it's number 202 on your TVs. And you can turn it on there and you can see stuff and you think, oh my goodness, I can't believe they make ridiculous programs like this. I've got to say, I'm not a big fan of CBBS. I endure it. I endure it. I would never turn it on if the boys were not home. Apart from to watch one program. There is one program on CBBS that if it was on and the boys weren't in, I may actually turn on and watch myself. And it's a program called Do You Know? And it's a brilliant program. Because what Do You Know? asks the question. It says, do you know how it's made? And what it does is it's this girl, Maddie, and she goes into factories and she shows you how things are made. Have you ever wondered how a golf ball is made? What do you know? It will tell you. Ever wondered how your pasta is produced? What do you know? Because they've got footage of the factories. It's brilliant. Because she takes you into these factories. And she shows you how stuff that we use every day is made. Coloring pencils, how our beds are made. You name it. It's in this show. It's a brilliant, brilliant program. And here, whenever we hear Jesus say, go and make disciples, one of the things that we can ask is, how are we meant to do it? How are we meant to go about this? How are we supposed to make these disciples? Well, the brilliant thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself shows us. It's a bit like that program that they go into the factory and they show us with the camera. If we actually look at the Gospels, if we look at Jesus and how he made his disciples, we get a model of how we are to make disciples in the church. And what we're going to see is that Jesus really had a two-pronged approach. He did two things. The first thing he did was he preached to his disciples like this. So he'd stand up in a crowd of his disciples. There were at least 72 of them. There were probably more at different stages. And he would publicly teach them and he'd preach to them. And they'd listen to him and they'd think about what he'd said. And then they'd go away and they'd try to live that out. So he'd do some teaching up front, teaching people. But he didn't just do that. He didn't just tell people. He didn't just proclaim things. He didn't just kind of tell people to do something and hope they'd get it. No, Jesus did something as well as that. And we're going to see a number of things that he did. The first thing he did was he invested in a very small group of men. He invested in a very small group of men. Jesus, he loved the world, didn't he? He loved the whole world. And he preached to great crowds. Do you remember the crowd? There was 5,000 men who got the bread and the fish. And we don't know how many women and children there were. He preached to the masses. And he publicly taught big groups of disciples. 72, 120. He, he taught big groups of disciples like this. Like we're doing this morning, he instructed them in the scriptures. But if you read through the gospels, what you will see is that Jesus invested most of his time and most of his energy in 12 men. They're even known as the 12. You see it when you read the gospels, don't you? And the 12 were with him. And the 12 went with him. And the 12 were on the boat. And the 12 were doing this. And the 12 were doing that. The 12, the 12, the 12, the 12, the 12. 
You see, Jesus, when he went about making disciples, he really invested most of his time and most of his energy for three years in this small group of 12. And it's really interesting because even within the 12, it seems there were three who he invested in even a little bit more. The three who were at the transfiguration. The three who he brought into the home of Jairus to see the little girl come back to life. But you see what he did, don't you? He invested in, in this smaller group of men. And what did he do with them? Well, he spent time with them. He did normal, everyday life with them. Did you notice in Mark chapter 3 what he said there? He called them that they might be with him, in relationship with him. He, he brought these men everywhere he went. He did normal, everyday life with them. Sometimes they're just walking from town to town, having a chat on the way. Sometimes they're eating together, just having a meal. No agenda, they're just eating breakfast or lunch or dinner like they had to do. Sometimes they're sailing across the lake to the other side. Sometimes they're doing ministry together. Sometimes they're asking him questions. Sometimes he's teaching them, but he was with them. He, he spent time with them. Why did he do that? So they could learn to follow him just from his example. So he could disciple them just by, just by giving himself away, by imparting his life. They could just watch him as he lived. And as they watched him, they'd learn how to follow him. They'd learn how to react to certain people. They'd learn how to react in certain situations. Think about a child. They learn almost everything in those early years just by watching. Just by watching. I've never told Micah where the food cupboard is in our kitchen. But he has watched me go there enough times to get the biscuits out that he knows exactly where it is now. He spent time with me. He, he's seen me do that and he's now got that bad habit. But you see what Jesus did? He brought these men into his life and he was with them. And they learned just by looking at him and, and by seeing his example. He was with them, doing normal things. What else did he do? He taught them formally. He sat down with them and he explained things to them. There's a time they're together. Jesus has been, been speaking in a parable and the disciples have not a clue what he was on about. And so he's, he's done this publicly. He's preached this parable. And then it says he withdraws with the 12 and they're together and the disciples say, Jesus, why do you teach them parables? Why do you do that? And then he teaches them why. Or there's the other time where they just don't get it. What, what, what is that all about, Jesus? He says, oh, boys, are you so little faith? Do you still not understand? Let me explain it to you. So he teaches them. He teaches them the, the word of God. So he's with them. He spends time with them. They learn by looking. They are also formally taught by him. They sit down and they ask questions. And then what else does Jesus do? He also models things for them. He shows them how to do things that God and that he is calling them to do. Oh Lord Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to pray? And what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't get out a textbook there. Sure he doesn't. Let me just get you the book for that lads and you can have a little read at it. No he doesn't. 
He says, look, look at me. Whenever you pray, pray like this. And he gets down and, and he prays in front of them. And he models how to pray. He models how to live for him. And then he equips them as well. That's the last thing he does. He equips them for service and he sends them out. He gives them the tools that they need to be able to carry out his mission. He teaches them all that they need to go, to go out and to proclaim the gospel and to do the mission that he has called them to do. He equips them. He equips them. And then he delegates, doesn't he? Because after three years of doing all of these things, the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, guys, it's over to you now. I've, I've given my life, I've, I've spent the time, I've invested in you 12, and I'm going now, and here's my plan, you're now to go and make disciples. You've you got to go do that now. I've invested in you, and now I want you to go, and I want you to invest in others, and I want you to make disciples. I want you to go and do it. And surely that's what he meant. Surely that's the model he expected them to follow. That they would go and that, yes, they'd preach to many and they'd see many converts, but actually they would also invest in smaller groups of men and be with them and, and teach them and model things for them and equip them and then delegate to them to go and do the same. Surely that's the method. Surely the way Jesus did it is the very best way to do it. Surely the way that Jesus did it is the way that we're meant to do it too. Randy Pope, what an awful name. That is his name, though. He's called Randy Pope. And he's from the States. He's from Perimeter Presbyterian Church. He was over at the General Special Assembly in Coleraine a couple of years ago. And um, I've spent a little bit of time with him. He's a lovely, humble man. Uh, and he does a lot of work on discipleship. And he sums up the way that Jesus did discipleship like this. He says that Jesus labored in the lives of a few with the intention of imparting his life, God's word, and the gospel in such a way as to see them become mature and equipped followers of Christ, committed to doing the same in the lives of others. He labored in the lives of a few. The intention was to give his life to them, to impart God's word to them and the gospel to them so that they'd become mature and equipped followers of him and so that they would go and do the same in the lives of of others. And folks, I think this is what we're meant to be doing as a church. I think we're meant to be gathering into small groups and in these small groups learning how to follow Christ better. I think we're meant to be gathering into small groups and being equipped for mission and have things modeled for us how to do things and how to live for Christ. I think this is what we're meant to be doing. We did a pilot group from January to June uh, here at Ravenhill, and we had a number of people involved in that just to see what this was like. And, and I asked at the end of the year for some feedback, and the feedback that I got was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly good. And what made these little groups different was that people weren't just being told, go and study the Bible, go and read the Bible. But in the group, they were being shown how they might go and do that. They weren't just being told, you need to go and pray more. 
but they were given some models and ideas of how they might be able to do that. They weren't just told, here's what this is, you've got to believe it. They were given space to ask their questions and to, to develop and discover for themselves the answers. And the exciting thing is that in September, October, we're going to start another couple of these groups. And I want to just flag that up now because maybe you would like to be in a group like this. If you do, come at the end of September. There's going to be two kind of information evenings. One will be on a Wednesday night, one will be on a Thursday night. And if this is something you'd like to be in, if you'd like to be in one of these type of groups, then I'd like to encourage you to come along to that. But more information will be coming at the start of September. But folks, we're called to make disciples. And we're called to do it, I think, in the way that Jesus did it. But I want to finish by saying something that is related but slightly different. And I think this is more of a challenge than anything. The church as a whole is called to make disciples. But you and I, we as individuals of the church, we're called to be disciples. Each of you, sitting here and myself, we're called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to be continually learning from him. We're called to be continually submitting to his leadership and living under his rule. We're called to obey him. We're called to give our hands in service to him. We're called to be corrected by him. We're called to spend time with him. We're called to become more like him. Folks, those of us sitting here this morning are called to live for Christ. We're called to be disciples. One of the biggest mistakes I think that I have seen made in the church sometimes is the idea that being a Christian and being a disciple are two separate things. This idea that kind of a Christian is someone who has a, a belief and a faith and has, has believed the right things and, and a disciple is like that next more serious step. But that is a total mistake. That is found nowhere in the Bible. They were called disciples right from the start. They weren't called anything else. Jesus didn't call people to become Christians. He called them to follow him. He said, everyone wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't invite us to easy religion. He doesn't invite anyone to, to church attendance. He doesn't invite anyone to, to some sort of comfortable faith of some sort, some vague Christian belief. No, he calls us all to be disciples. He calls us all to be disciples. That word Christian, it was first used to describe disciples because Christian means Christ-like. Look at them, those Christians, those little Christs. But it's never used by Jesus. We're called to be disciples. And maybe you're here this morning and at one stage you started out as a disciple of Jesus. You were going to give him your all. You were going to live under his leadership. You were going to follow him wholeheartedly. He was going to be the, the one that you were going to live for all your life. 
And maybe you've got sidetracked. Maybe Jesus is no longer at the center of your vision. Maybe you've got sidetracked into churchiness. Maybe you've got sidetracked into religiosity. Maybe you've got sidetracked by something totally different, but maybe the, 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 the kind of direction you were once going following Christ, it's not that direction anymore. You've kind of swerved off the path. If that's you this morning, listen to these words that Jesus spoke. Come follow me. Come follow me. There's grace for you. If you've gone off the track, he invites you back on. If he's not who you're living for, he invites you to make him the one you're living for again this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually been a disciple. Maybe you've been at church all your life. Maybe you're a churchy person and you like church and you like being here and that's good and I'm glad you're here and we're glad you're here. But this morning Jesus is calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to lay down your life to live for him. He's calling you to put him first, to to follow after him, to let him be your Lord, to let him be your master, to learn from him and follow his ways. And that sounds quite scary because it is. It is scary. No longer I, but I'm going to live for Christ. That is a scary thing. That is a life commitment. There will be a cost to it. This morning, if you've never been a disciple, listen to the call of Jesus. Come follow me. Come follow me. I've come that you can have life to the full. Yes, it's going to be costly. But come follow me. Come follow me. Maybe here this morning and you've just taken a bit of a rest. Maybe you've kind of put the the following Jesus on hold to get on with something else. Well, again, listen to his call this morning. Come follow me. Get back to living for him. There was a song written in 1917 by a a man called Thomas Chiselholm. And I just want to read the the lyrics of this song as we close. And as you listen to these words read this morning, why not make them a quiet prayer of your own heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Living for Jesus, a life that is true, Striving to please him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. Living for Jesus who died in my place. Bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading and give him my all. Living for Jesus wherever I am, doing each duty in his holy name, seeking the lost ones he died to redeem, bringing the weary to find rest in him. And this is the prayer. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to you, for in your atonement did give yourself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be your throne. 
My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for you alone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, at the cross of Calvary, you gave up your life for us. You shed your blood for us that we could be cleansed of our sin and brought into the family of God. But Lord Jesus, you not only gave your life for us, but you have called us to give our life for you, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to live for you each and every day of life. Oh Lord Jesus, as we leave this place today, may your words resonate in our minds and in our hearts. May you give us no peace until we have answered that call. Come follow me. Come follow me. Oh Lord, help us respond as we should. Help us give our lives to you in obedience. And may we know the blessing of that as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.